Welcome back to the Podcasting Guild, Babylon 5. I'm your host, as always, Eric. And we're joined by my trusty companion, Mr. Andrew, on the other side there. I'm not that trusty. <laughs> on occasion, you can be. I wouldn't trust me that much. Yeah. yeah. By the way, Eric, are we the Podcasters Guild or the Podcasting The guild? Podcasting Guild, yeah. Podcasting yeah. Guild. Yeah, it's important that we get our name right. I, my, I myself have Googled the wrong name. <laughs> no problem, no problem. Great. Podcasting Guild. Yes, the Podcasting Excellent. Guild. Well, I have to say, this episode of Babylon 5 is one of my favorites. Okay. Infection, season one, episode five, Infection. Yep. I enjoyed a lot of parts of this episode. I enjoyed the sort of dark Indiana Jones and in space vibes. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed a lot of the lampshade hanging <laughs> with, if you're not familiar with that phrase, it just refers to a show being self-referential yep. about, about, you know, tropes that they employ. Yeah, I don't know. I loved a lot of the sort of, you know, sci-fi scientist uh you know shenanigans some great classic like let me peer into my microscope (laughs) and oh look at that it's a detailed narrative history of like (laughs) anyway just a lot of great uh moments in this episode yeah i thought yeah one of my favorites so far i have to say it had a lot i love to see that the doctor this was this was like his episode i expected him to be some background character who you know didn't get the time of day but no no ambassadors in this yep. episode the, the makeup department took a took a holiday well, i mean the bad guy you know, had a lot of makeup on oh that's <laughs> true yeah that poor bastard probably spent nine hours i mean it's like full body <laughs> yeah, true but yeah no ambassadors uh yeah all about the doctor all about the you know ethical considerations of the pursuit of science yep. which you know you gotta love it. You gotta love it. So let's let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. Let let's get into it. As you mentioned, this is season one, episode five. Uh, at least on HBO Max, it's episode four in the proper season. And so this episode starts out with Doctor Franklin in the man lab, and he's uh, working, you know, doing his usual business. And then his old professor shows up. Oh, hold yeah. on, hold on, hold on. We're we're skipping past some juicy bits here. <laughs> Because the actual opening scene is a reporter from INN, not CNN. Yes. INN. <laughs> uh, what is it? Intergalactic News Network or something? Interstellar Yeah, News Interstellar Network, News Network. Something like that. ISN. Complaining that Commander Sinclair is avoiding yes. her for this interview. Which leads to you know a little back and forth. But, but my favorite part of the back and forth is that she calls out what I've been saying. Like, isn't it a little weird that the commander's out flying these ships to go and investigating? And Garibaldi just says, you know, the commander's a hands-on kind of guy. And I love this. Yes. I love this. I love that eventually the writers were like, look, we got to address <laughs> why the ranking commander is going and doing all the bitch work. Yeah. You know, we got to talk about it. So... You know, when I talk about lampshade uh, hanging, that's that's the kind of thing I love. So, yeah, I love that they called that out. Floor wax or aphrodisiac. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure it's worth the risk. One has to wonder which use he was considering using it for that he wouldn't risk the other one. 
this was some mystery product he was buying from a, from a hawk. Yeah, and the he in the question is Garibaldi, who is uh, hanging out with the ISN reporter. And I think I like this comment at the end, like, if, it, if this leaves any yellow buildup anywhere, I'm coming back and getting a refund. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, I love that as well. That had to have been right on the line yeah. for 90s TV. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> Definitely some innuendo there. Oh, boy. So, okay. And the other scene I want to talk about before we get to the doctor being approached is in customs. Yeah. And customs on board this highly secure diplomatic mission, you know, very high risk target. You might imagine that they have the highest of security and you'd be correct. And in, in accordance with, you know, the very best security measures to go through customs, they of course have one customs officer who makes casual chit-chat about his observations to the dude who's, you know, <laughs> whose luggage, essentially, he's checking. Yeah. <laughs> and then he he's basically like, oh, if I didn't know any better, I'd think you were smuggling something in. All right, well, having said that, I'll just turn my back to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, he gets tased to death. Yep. Because that is a ridiculous way to run a, a customs house. Yeah. What, there's one person on the floor, and they're just, like, jovially like, oh, oh, well, look at this. Is there a trap compartment in there? If I didn't know any better, I'd think there was. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me go over here. Now, you know, can you imagine? Can you imagine if, like, like the cartels are trying to smuggle some kilos in, and the customs is just like, oh, well, <laughs> I know this is flour, but if I didn't know any better, I'd suspect this was cocaine. Yeah. I don't know. That part was a bit silly, but uh, I did love it. The guy did get murderified for his uh, poor decision making. Yeah. So definitely, I think some changes to the customs house training program are in order. I think um, my big complaint was, for as secure as this facility is, there were no cameras. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my god, yeah. Where are the cameras? At least I, have cameras I there. I completely agree. You know, since we're on the topic of security, I have to say something that's been bugging me through this whole show Mm -hmm. is how is there a criminal underworld on board this ship? Like all the entrance points are, are closely monitored. You know, I guess as I'm saying this, like we can't even keep drugs out of prisons. Fair enough. But I mean, man, this is like, if the Hague was in space, right? Like it's already this sort of diplomatic mission sort of, you know, has a certain, certain amount of auspices associated with it. But also, it's not just a building in the middle of a field that anyone can walk into. It's in space. Right. Like, only way to come and go is through a limited number of, of entry and exit points. It's just like, how did they not notice the giant mantis? Mm-hmm. How did you not clock the giant mantis? Why is there a giant mantis <laughs> crime mob boss living in your smoky hallways? Like, yeah. y'all should have caught that. Your security is a joke. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I have to say about that. Well, I, they do go into that a little bit later in the season, I think, where they talk about why there well, are poor people. Of course the they do. You know, you got to wonder how much of this was planned out seasons ahead of time mm-hmm. and how much the writers are just like, you know, this doesn't make sense. We really need to address yeah. this. Well, I do like, we'll get into this a little bit later in the episode, but I like how there's an element of realism there where 
they do talk about these topics, right? Like, why does this exist here, right? I think these are probably topics that wouldn't be touched by uh, some of the more utopian science fiction out there. Like in Star Trek, no one's poor. Everyone is rich and everyone's happy and everything like that, right? There's no conversation around that aspect, at least within the human side of things. Maybe we adjust that through aliens and stuff, but that adds a bit of realism here where they actually engage in those topics. You know, why is the commander doing these things? Why is he putting himself on the line all the time? You know, why are there poor people here? Those conversations are interesting to have. Yeah. And I think this is a show that engages in that. And it takes a little bit to get there, granted. But I think it does engage in, in that conversation. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, Robot Eric. <laughs> uh, and I think because, like, so many of the predecessors to the show the captain and commander was also an action hero that it was i I feel like it was more natural to have the commander out doing heroics than it would have been to not have him do that true well no that's a that's a that's a good call and i'm glad they they at least make an attempt to be like hey this is weird yeah you know the commander shouldn't be out flying you know jet fighters and Mm -hmm. whatever star fighters yeah okay well anyway so after the customs room uh, murderification, we get to the scene you were talking about, which is um, the doctor, you know, the, the local scientist in his lab and is approached by kind of a shifty character. You know, I think they were going for like a Indiana Jones, but if he was morally <laughs> ambiguous and worked for a like evil bioweapons corporation. Yes. But anyway, and he addresses, oh, I'm sorry, what's the doctor's name? Dr. Franklin, yeah, Stephen Franklin. Stephen Franklin, yeah. So, and he addresses Dr. Franklin as his favorite student, right? Right. So it sort of establishes that he's some kind of professor or something. And says, oh, I have an adventure for you. Which I thought was a little intriguing because the doctor here, again, it's like if the Hague had its own internal science lab. Right. Right, and and you were the resident science at the Hague, who just like did science in their basement, and then someone came in and was like, "Hey, are you bored in this stupid, boring, normal job?" <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> I'm the resident scientist in the Hague. Yeah. What are you talking about? So I thought it was a little funny that he was like, "Oh, I have an adventure for you." Like, you know, I feel like Doctor Franklin. This is this has got to be a, a career capstone, mm-hmm. right? I mean. But he was interested, so apparently the call to adventure is as alluring to those who work on, <laughs> I don't know, diplomatic space stations as the rest of it us. It felt like one of those offers that you can't refuse, right? It's like, hey, I'm going to go have some excitement now. Let's go do that. You're in a boring job here. Let's go do something more interesting. Yeah, but again, he has like the least boring job right. ever. Right. Like, you know, every episode he is, he is somewhere adjacent to the central mystery Mm. and you know he's always talking to the commanding officer about his clues like i don't know that's a pretty exciting day job but anyway you know his old professor apparently entices him by saying he found some artifacts and his assistant comes and lo and behold this is actually in fact this show does this a lot where the audience has more information than any of the characters it's sort of like an audience omniscient point of view yeah so because we saw who murdered the customs agent, we immediately recognize the assistant as the murderer. So right off the bat, the episode is saying, hey, this is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he says, okay, we found these artifacts. 
and I need your help to science them. Mm. And then they start taking out these artifacts. No one's wearing gloves. <laughs> and they're just sort of casually handing them back and forth. These ancient alien artifacts that later in the episode they established had been obtained at massive cost. Yep. Huge funding issue to get it done. Here they are just sort of casually handing them back and forth. No precautions to treat them like ancient artifacts. Yep. No precautions to treat them like potential bioweapons, which they are. Mm. <laughs> you know, very lax. Very lax, which I suppose is in character for the professor. Right. Uh, Dr. Frankman does make comments several times about how he's always cutting corners. Mm-hmm. But uh, I expect better from Dr. Franklin. You know, he's out there just like, oh, hi, I'll take that. <laughs> Let me inspect it here. Well, I think uh, yeah, very lax. he does have a bit of an out because he thought they had gone through quarantine already. Right. So he thought they were safe. Good point. Good point. I hadn't considered that. You're right. But to your point, I mean, even if they are having gone through quarantine you would still handle them with a bit more care i would think because you don't know how fragile they are totally anyway yeah so i you know love that casual (laughs) handling of these ancient alien artifacts i love the i got real raiders of the lost archives from this episode especially in the following scene where the assistant you know sort of just idly looking at the artifacts Mm -hmm. and he opens up the case and by the way guys if you ever discover an ancient (laughs) artifact and it's closed don't open it or or open it away from your face how about that if it's gonna melt your eyeballs like the end of indiana jones you know just just a little precaution is all or shoot space lightning at you in this case yeah exactly yeah he opens up this little artifact to a face full of space lightning (laughs) and i thought that was the end of him i thought we weren't gonna see any more of the assistant little did i know that he was about to become the main antagonist mm-hmm. of the episode. And so I kind of love what the artifact did to him, though. It, you know, he started taking on subtle physical changes, and then seemingly not under his own power, he returns to the artifacts yeah. and, like, sticks one in his chest. Like that, you know, like that scene in, uh, in The Matrix, right, where they, like, put that weird thing in neo's name right it wasn't exactly like that. that's what it made me think of but yeah you know this this sort of ma- machine thing attaches itself to him and slowly starts taking him over mm-hmm. uh dr franklin walks in on this transformation happening and he he like shoots him with an arm cannon oh at first he says protect <laughs> which is corniest yeah hell yeah. but okay uh, and he shoots Dr. Franklin. And I knew that wasn't the end of Dr. Franklin because he's, you know, a named right. character. He's no red shirt. But, you know, still had to hurt. Anyway, you know, I'm I'm just blown <laughs> through. Like I said, I thought this episode was great. I was enraptured the yeah. whole time. I, I love the Indiana Jones vibe. I loved the sort of, you know, the artifacts are sentient mm-hmm. and can take someone over and make them the weapon. You know, I thought that was a excellent plot yeah. device. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll take a break. Let you chime in, Eric. I, like I said, like as per usual, I'm just <laughs> chatting away here to myself. Yeah, we've been actually focusing very much on the A plot, um, but in the background, the B plot is still going on, uh, revolving around the commander and him avoiding this interview <laughs> with uh, the ISN news reporter. Who, honestly, I wasn't a fan of the actress playing the the ISN reporter. She just struck me as a bit too much. I think. 
I agree with that. She she was playing full on aggressive reporter. Yeah. I would think she'd be more diplomatic and those sorts of things, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. Though no, that's exactly like like you know when you're interviewing generals, mm-hmm. and, which is basically what Commander Sinclair is more or less, you know, and ambassadors. Right. Like you don't get to that stage without a bit of tact. Right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, she was quite abrasive, and especially when she was like haranguing. Garibaldi, Garibaldi, <laughs> and she's like, you know, eighty percent of our listeners thought this was gonna fail, and I'm like, why even bring right, that up? Right. What a, what are you, what a weird flex. And why are you yelling at him? So, yeah, she just seemed a bit rude. <laughs> yeah, why are you yelling at him? He's not the commander. Uh, yeah. yeah, no. So I agree with you. I I thought uh, it was a little bit too much aggressive reportery for mm, me. It was like got you, which you know has been a trope for a long time for sure. But you know, especially in in sort of today's political climate where the word reporter is a rather contentious label. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just kind of obnoxious to see yeah. someone supposedly doing this kind of interviewing, being totally abrasive, right, and just right. a jerk about it. You know? Yeah, and you, you commented earlier that this was very much a Franklin-centric episode, but there are uh, kind of side elements, both for Garibaldi and the commander, where they kind of dig into their background. One of those scenes happens as we're dealing with the A-plot, as you mentioned, with the emergence of the Ikarin dreadnought or a robot guy whatever you want to call him i don't think he has a name um but uh, garibaldi is talking to the to the reporter and she brings up his history and that he's been fired from his last five jobs and this is his last shot and it's like again like there's no attack there why are you bring this up this has nothing to do with anything other than you're trying to like i don't know intimidate him or something like that it's true, yeah. Anytime she was met with an answer she didn't like, her response was to like pull up some unflattering detail yeah. about them. <laughs> and just sort of, you know, yeah. give them guff about it. So yeah, I, you know, maybe a new reporter. Yeah. Maybe that's why they sent her to Babylon 5. I don't know, it's not clear to me if Babylon 5 is important and prestigious or a backwater that nobody believes in. It's it's not obvious to me where where it falls on. Apparently, you would have made a lot of money if you had uh, put a bet with Lloyd's of London and for it to stay around for a year. So, uh, yeah. So it's a big on the betting markets. So there's that. But yeah, continuing on, the episode then turns back from after the car and guy shoots Franklin to Garibaldi and Sinclair going and talking to Franklin and confronting his professor about what had happened and this is again another for me at least a strenuous moment where Sinclair's I don't know he just seems to be like a uh, mean dad lecturing his kid when he's talking to Hendrix you know I also noted that the tone I guess it's sort of an interrogation yeah but the tone the tone implied that Garibaldi and Sinclair knew what the audience right that they knew that this guy was in league with, you know, with whoever the antagonist Mm. was. And that, you know, like, they were questioning him very sharply. And, like, again, even, you got to imagine, even if people who do these kinds of interrogations, like, have a hunch that the person is involved, they don't don't make these pithy, sarcastic comments. They don't make these, like, 
you know, very accusatory, you know, when you're trying to get information out of somebody, again, you just don't, you're not that abrasive. Exactly. So yeah, they were very, very aggressive towards them, very hostile mm-hmm. towards them. And it, and again, I think, I, I just think the characters were acting on knowledge that they didn't really have, Agreed. right? Yeah. They were acting on knowledge Agreed. that the audience had. That's, that was my take at yeah. least, why they were so aggressive towards him. Mm-hmm. But you know, my the, my note of this scene is blame everything on poor Nelson. <laughs> Nelson is the name of the yeah. assistant that was taken over by the ancient artifacts. And the professor here is just throwing him under a bus. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> He's just like, oh yeah, Nelson was doing the... Uh, you know, he told me he cleared uh, quarantine, you know, all, all biomatter needs to, you yep. know, he told me he cleared it. He told me he did this. I didn't know that, you know, it's just basically blaming everything on Nelson. <laughs> now he's not here to protect him. Right, right. N- Nelson's definitely the fall guy in the episode. Or he tries to make yeah, him that. Poor. <laughs> so. And I also love how the professor immediately guesses. He's like, my guess is the artifacts have taken him over and are bending them to their will. It's mm-hmm. like, whoa, that's a very specific guess. Yeah. That is also 100% accurate. You got to wonder if he, but if he knew what they were, then he wouldn't have brought it to Dr. Franklin, right? Mm-hmm. At great risk to himself, right. you know, clearly. So what what a guess. Yeah. What a yeah. guess. You know, when the only way to get all the protagonists on board with the mystery is for them to guess the answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> So yeah, that scene basically brought all the rest of the characters on board with what was happening. So the next step is basically, you know, Sinclair tells Garibaldi, we're going to DEFCON, whatever, right? right? Lock down the floors, take your henchmen. And I have to admit, I thought we were going to see a lot of red shirts die, a lot of disposable characters, because we had never seen Garibaldi. Well, I guess we have seen Garibaldi with some backup before, but... For some reason, when I saw him with a bunch of other people that weren't Commander Sinclair, I was like, oh, people gone down. They don't have plot armor. <laughs> they don't have names. Yep. These are unnamed characters, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so... I keep wanting to reference Galaxy <laughs> Quest. What a great movie. Okay. Sorry. Keep... <laughs> what were you going to say? Yeah. So at this point, the pursuit begins of the big bad as he's cutting his way through the bulkheads. And I think this is what... Yes. Another, another great part of this yep. episode. Just a great you know sort of firefight uh action scene okay i cut you off again keep no. going but i agree i love yeah that. i think this is where we start to see the commander being pulled back from like his frontline duties although he still does some of that in this episode uh, we now see garibaldi taking the lead on the ground in the fighting which is where he should be because he's security chief and the commander commanding from the ops deck and providing guidance totally there. The commander just couldn't resist, yeah. couldn't resist a good gunfight mm-hmm. later on. But for now, you are correct. Yes. You know, he's staying in his lane. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Garibaldi. He's a great character. Mm-hmm. He has a really great mix of just sort of, you know, kind of stoic cynicism and pithy one-liners. <laughs> you know, I loved uh, win, loser, draw. It has to know it was in a fight. Right. Just little lines like that. Um, you know, I really, I really appreciate it. So, yeah. Garibaldi, one of my favorite characters, yeah. I think. Yeah, he gets to be a bit of an action hero for this episode, which is cool. He sure does. Chasing this thing through the hallways. And so using its energy, there's a couple important details. One, it becoming more powerful. So when the Dr. Franklin was shot, he wasn't even knocked out for a single scene. Right. It was like two hard cuts later and he's back <laughs> giving dialogue. So no problem, right? The next two 
poor bastards who <laughs> ran into the this living relic weapon got vaporized right. straight up like those horrific images from hiroshima style just like shadows against the wall you know so that was a pretty intense escalation <laughs> i would say and they make a comment saying, oh, our energy readings show that it's getting 20% more powerful every time he charges. Right. Which for, you know, if anyone, you know, anyone out there is an investor or understands compounding interest, 20% per, per repetition is insane. Yes. And they do comment on that saying, you know, it won't be long before his next shot ruptures the hull. Right. I thought that was a great sort of escalation of stakes. But I will say, and this is skipping ahead just a little bit, Sinclair takes a shot and barely even slows down. Like, they give him the, you know, the the coal mine smudge on one cheek to show he's been roughed mm-hmm. up. But considering that the last guy who got shot was literally vaporized, yeah. he, he took that one like a champ. Well, you have to say that the, uh, the commander's body armor is very impressive stuff. You see a little like nick in it if you look closely where he was shot but other than that he's pretty much okay (laughs) yeah exactly pretty much okay his hair is must and like i said they just gave one of those little like dirt smudges on his cheek right you know the the classic i've been in a fight dirt smudge yeah Yeah. never mind that we're on a space station and where is the dirt coming from don't worry about that Um, speaking of uh one-liners before we get too far away from it. I just want to comment very quickly on Vanova having another fun one-liner where the reporter shows up on the ops deck as they're trying to figure out where the war machine is going and she tries to basically interrogate the commander in the middle of an emergency and Vanova steps up between her and the commander and is like you don't want to go there you're too young <laughs> to experience that much pain oh yeah 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 you're too young to experience that much pain which, you know, is kind of a cool line, but again, it it just sort of undermines the kind of professional yeah. <laughs> nature. Like, yeah, that that is some shit to say, mm-hmm. man. Like, if if a guard said to that to you, would you be like, oh, this guy is well trained and means business, yeah. or you'd think, oh, this this dude <laughs> probably has a drinking problem and probably shouldn't be in this yes. position. I don't know. I'd probably think the latter, but <laughs> I thought that was funny. I agree. I thought that was funny. Anyway, so so after the chase begins, we're back in the lab. And this is one of my favorite scenes because this was just some classic, you know, I'm going to do some science real yes. quick, you know, scenes where, you know, he's looking into this microscope. And what does he see in his microscope? Well, wouldn't you know it? It's a detailed narrative history of all the backstory of this situation. Well, where else are you going to find it? It's going to be in the microscope, of course. You know, I used to do research on a microscope. <laughs> a big fancy microscope. I don't know. It, it's just so funny to me that it's it's like it's like Joseph Smith looking into, you know, his, whatever, his hat. Right. And being like, oh, the whole, you know, Mormon religion is in here. Mm-hmm. That that's what the microscope is like in these science fiction shows. Yeah. It's like, let me look into the science box and tell you what the script says or you know whatever uh so i just really love that i love that he's looking just looking through that microscope and coming back with these like just highly detailed 
you know, narrative histories mm-hmm. about all oh, the fanatics took over the government and they programmed it this way and they, you know, told it to only look for purity. And it's like, uh, I, I did love that it was sort of a commentary on the extremism and fascism right. and, and sort of, you know, this drive towards a, a fake purity that doesn't really exist. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I kind of almost just couldn't get over <laughs> like this you know this detailed like what was in that microscope Mm. you you know an eight parts a ken burns documentary (laughs) like what was he looking and all in english as well by the way with his yes (laughs) in english they didn't have to bother translating it and taking weeks and months to figure out the language and all these other components they just knew exactly (laughs) what was going on it's true. It's true. So I did love. I did love what the backstory was and the sort of rationale. Mm. But yeah, just just a bit of fun getting there. Yeah, just a bit of fun getting the exposition out. Yeah, unfortunately, with with science fiction shows, sometimes they have to take shortcuts like that just to keep the narrative going along. Totally. So, but it's fun. Totally. Well, and I have to say, the way the commander utilized this information to solve the problem, I mean, it harkened back to the pilot, yep. where they were just like, let's put a camera. On the people he's on the guy they're here to arrest, showing him running around with a gun, and that'll just answer everything. It'll solve our problems. Like it was that level of wait, what? Yeah. Because his plan, having not with with this information, his plan, he's like, well, because there's a, you know a personality matrix. Oh, oh, one of the details was one of the scientists who built the weapon encoded themselves into it to help control it, right? And so his plan is to taunt this guy, is to taunt him, is to make him mad, thereby solve the problem, yeah. right? Get him into out of the airlock or well, something. Well, Garibaldi did comment on how that was crazy. <laughs> I mean, okay, but for, first of all, like, never mind that it worked. Yes. Let's, let's talk about the fact <laughs> that one of the points they said in this detailed narrative history that they saw in the microscope was that they specifically designed the weapon so that it would not take any instructions from someone who wasn't a pure member of the of whatever species built it i forgot the name of them okay fine sounds good well spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) over the course of just berating this this ancient relic weapon about how stupid their (laughs) history is yeah he basically drove him to commit suicide so which is it? Are they not? Are they designed to not be able to be influenced yeah. by any other <laughs> agents, or are they so influ- influenceable <laughs> that you can talk them into into suiciding themselves basically by mocking? Right. Imagine if we thawed like an ancient Assyrian. Right. We found him in some permafrost or something and, and we just started like shitting on him like huh babylon raised nineveh oh, oh, oh poor nineveh oh go screw yourself Assyria sucks like just like berating them for how they all went extinct that was basically what commander sinclair was doing to this guy i don't know i couldn't i it was a very impassioned and emotional speech about how like a, the drive for purity is always a flawed one and you know it was inevitable you destroy yourselves right. because you were extremists like a lot of stuff that on a fundamental level i, I kind of agree mm-hmm. with but the whole situation was so bizarre i couldn't help but just laugh through most of it because <laughs> it 
you know, again, it's like you're basically talking to this person millions of years old and, you know, not only are you just making fun of them for going extinct, right. basically, not making fun of them, you're just angrily berating them. But it's so successful, it's so impactful that he literally just is just like, okay, well, I'm done then. And he like rips the, the artifact out of his chest and like falls over. Right. Well, and that's the end. Let's just say that he rolled a natural 20 on his vicious mockery and how he, how he succeeded. Oh my God. That is such a perfect analogy. It really is. Because as a DM, you know, sometimes I'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll let them try this <laughs> stupid thing. I'll make the DC really high so that they, but then they roll natural 20 and, oh, well, okay. It would just be (laughs) too stupid for words if this works. So, okay, make another roll, another natural 20. Like, (laughs) fine, fine. You talk, you talk the big bad guy into just throwing down his weapons and jumping into the volcano. Fine. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's basically what it was. That's what I was thinking when I was watching. It's like, uh, this brings me back to the D and D days. Vicious yes. mockery and <laughs> vicious mockery. Your mother was a hamster, and your father smelt of elderberries. Yeah. Oh my god! In fact, my note for this scene is literally now go away, or I shall taunt you a second time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Oh. Uh... Yeah. So yeah, I absolutely love yeah. that scene. By the way, and one one little inconsistency yeah. I noted: this the the bad guy here, the weapon was able to melt through walls, melt through the floor, right? That's why they kept not being able to catch right. him. But then in that final scene, Sinclair's like, "Shut the door! Shut the airlock door! I don't care if it kills me too." And it's like, guys, he's able to melt through the walls. What's a door gonna do? You know. Anyway, all right. What were you about to say? That was my last comment. Uh, you about. know about that silly it, it is funny because just going back to the commander's body armor they just, just need to make the station out of that stuff apparently yeah. seriously <laughs> just make it all out of that stuff <laughs> it's true plot <laughs> armor is an amazing thing oh my god mm. yes yeah, so that actually isn't the end of the episode though because there's a bit of an epilogue no i thought it was uh but no there's actually quite a bit of episode yeah. after that Although that is that is where my detailed notes end because I have to say that was definitely the climax of the yes. episode. Yeah. Um, the rest of it is really just well. Actually, I did appreciate a couple of the scenes, but yeah, resolving the B plot was a big part. But the scene right after that, where Garibaldi confronts Sinclair, yeah, that was a great scene. That was a great scene. It was, you know, maybe a little bit corny, but but I actually thought it was one of the best scenes with Garibaldi and Sinclair so yeah. far where Garibaldi kind of calls out Sinclair for putting his life on the line over and over again and, you know, doesn't directly make any recommendations, but, you know, just sort of points this out and connects it to his time in the war Mm -hmm. and kind of talks about how once you're in that environment, maybe you just keep looking for things to die for. And I thought this was really interesting because this was, you know, maybe I was just too young in the 90s to to notice this Mm. but i don't think there was a huge focus on these sort of you know the traumatic aspects of coming back from a conflict yeah the ptsd in the same way that ptsd exactly uh, or even just reintegrating into civilian life 
maybe that stuff was front and center for people in the military, but like I didn't notice that becoming a part of the national conversation until like the mid 2000s. So at least in my recollection, which again might not be true at all, but at least in my recollection, this show feels a bit of ahead of its time to sort of have, you know, a difficulty integrating back into, you know, a life that doesn't threaten to cost you your life you know how that can be difficult after the adrenaline and the and the purpose right. of you know being on the front lines so yeah i love i love that scene i really liked a lot of the concepts yeah and i think this ties back to my earlier comment and how this really grounds this series in realism because you're not getting these heroes up on pedestals right you're getting what are people with real issues and real character flaws in them and we laughed and joked about how, you know, oh, here's action hero Sinclair going at it again. Now you're seeing that it's part of his backstory why he's doing that. And they're giving him a backstory, whereas get Kirk and, you know, the other action hero kind of captains and leaders right. in the force. It's like, yeah. that's just, they're the action hero character, so they're going to do that. There's no talk about why they do that or anything like that. Yeah, they, they solve problems with their right. face. That's just how they do yeah. it. Yeah. But in this case, no, yeah, completely. it grounds it in some realism. Great. Well, they kind of got the best of both worlds mm-hmm. because they get to have that action hero protagonist. Right. And they also get to kind of explore, well, what would it look like if your commanding officer actually did, you know, risk his life all the time? I was sort of expecting Garibaldi to calm the task a little bit. Like, you're not protecting the station by putting yourself at risk. Yeah. You know, l- losing you would do us a lot of harm. Mm-hmm stop putting yourself in harm's way right you know very similar you find a lot of accounts in history of like kings being talked out of you know leading the charge by their generals yeah. and stuff being like hey like if you die uh we're all screwed so <laughs> right, right. stop risking your life please you know i was expecting a little bit of that but no i completely agree with you i i think it's great that they're trying to address these things looking for realistic explanations for why these characters act in you know even if they're sort of classic ways that fit perfectly in the genre they would stand out you know if this was a real situation it would definitely stand out if a commanding officer was was running into guns every other week yeah for sure you know also i just wanted to call out a little throwaway line they mentioned babylon 5 had a quarter million people Mm -hmm. on it quarter million that's a lot yep that's a lot do you think a station that size is enough it's probably pretty tightly plaqued, but yeah. Pretty pretty tight. I mean, you know, you just think the food deliveries for a quarter million. I mean, yeah. I didn't. I you just don't see the kind of logistics I would expect for that population size. But okay. Anyway, if that is true, it could go to explain that why there's a criminal underworld. Yes. You know, quarter million people. You start to definitely, you know, lose the ability to to track everyone. Probably even in a small small yeah, area like yeah. a space station. Totally. Yeah, and so the episode wraps up with a quick aside where Ivanova and Franklin are talking and Air Force requisitions the bioweapons from them and they have a commentary on like, okay, well, no one reads Santiana anymore. <laughs> Ivana goes and drinks with aliens. Oh, and yeah, then, uh, yeah. And, and, and the professor gets arrested. Yes, professor he basically arrested. tries to talk Franklin into, don't turn me mm-hmm. in, I'll make you rich. But obviously. Right. Obviously, Franklin. Franklin, don't play that. Mm-hmm. Don't play that shit. Yeah. I loved this episode. I loved how the scientist was front and center. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm not a scientist, but 
in my youth, I thought I would be. So, you know, I definitely have an affinity for any episode that, that makes a scientist their, their protagonist for an episode. Yeah. I love just the sort of the moral discussions. We actually haven't didn't talk too much about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're coming up on time here. But there were some great conversations just about the morality of, you know, doing research, especially into bioweapons. Franklin was a little offended that they were digging up technology instead of discovering it for themselves, mm-hmm. which to me just seems absurd. <laughs> like, if we found some ancient technology, you know, in, in the pyramids or whatever, no one would be like, no, 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 you got to invent it yourself. You can't just copy. Like, yeah, that would never happen. But yeah, I just, I really enjoyed... I, know, I really enjoyed everything about this episode. I loved, again, that the scientists were first and foremost. I love that it took a lot of the Indiana Jones tropes and sort of turned them on its head. I love that they called out a lot of the action hero uh, behavior in Sinclair. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I one of my favorite episodes yeah. so far, I have to say. One of my favorites. Yeah, for me going into it, I looked at it as kind of like a middle of the road episode, but I think all the aspects of the the world building also also the realistic confrontations between Garibaldi and Sinclair as friends and having that conversation really uh, bumps it up in the rankings for me. I, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite episodes, but I think that really helps separate it from you know, the likes of the uh, the Soul Hunter episode. And right, right. Well, I, I thought the uh, Ikarin super soldier guy was a bit corny and silly. I thought that the other aspects of the episode really saved it for me. And then this is also the episode that had one of my favorite quotes from the series. Uh, the last scene where Sinclair finally has the interview with the ISN reporter, he comments on, you know, why we need to go out to space. And growing up as a kid, that was like, you know, something for me that really was a foundational thing where it's like, yeah, that makes complete sense why we need to push the boundaries and, and, and push the, the frontiers for humanity and to push ourselves into space you know it's looking back on it now the quote itself is kind of maybe a bit dramatic <laughs> overly dramatic but i, I still appreciate its, yeah. its its sentiment and the desire to go no, explore. It's, it's almost like the showrunner's thesis right. you know it's almost like we stay in our little world in our little bubble and we and that's all we ever are then eventually we're doomed to die in that right. bubble. like you know there is no other option but to look to the stars, which, you know, I again, yeah, maybe a little, a little corny, but you know, but but I thought it was great. Yeah. I thought it was a good thesis uh, for this show, especially. Mm-hmm. It's one that, as a kid, I definitely would have agreed. Yes, one hundred percent. And in general, I think just replace space travel with basic research, yes. and I think it's still generally true. Agreed. Like it is for sure worth spending resources and investing into learning about the world and about the universe even in ways that it isn't immediately obvious how that will have a material benefit totally. tomorrow yeah. and in that sense i think i completely agree yeah. with, uh, yeah. with commander sacramento yeah well before we wrap up the episode the first time i, I <laughs> called him the wrong thing this whole episode i hope you appreciate i do that. appreciate that and you've gotten all the names right so far so that's good um before we wrap up the episode though who was your favorite character oh who was my favorite character i mean dr franklin had a had a great episode he you know a lot of my favorite moments you know the the <laughs> joseph smith's uh you know magic <laughs> microscope yeah. great stuff there garibaldi though i mean garibaldi had some great lines 
And ultimately, Sinclair, I mean, my favorite part of the episode was him berating this guy <laughs> about how they went extinct. Yeah. I mean, I was just, that, it was just so funny to me. That really, so I don't know. I mean, I'm going to have to go Franklin. Franklin. I'm going to have to go Dr. Okay. Franklin. I mean, Garibaldi and Sinclair have been in the spotlight a lot. I feel like, the, you know, Franklin, maybe maybe he becomes a, a you know, a main character in the future. Yeah. But I feel, I felt like this was his episode to shine and i thought he really did so i'm gonna go franklin all right well we're keeping score here and franklin's on the scoreboard yeah. now so. <laughs> great great awesome all right well thanks again eric another another great episode yeah. you mentioned it wasn't your favorite but you have a lot more to choose from yes. i've only watched five yeah. of them so out of the five this is definitely top two i would mm-hmm. say yeah i think it's yeah not my favorite but it's, it's a good episode if you can overlook some of the silliness with the super soldier, um, it's a it's a good episode. And I mean, overlook it like like half the fun yeah. is, is yeah. for the silliness, true, right? True. You know, it's uh, it's I wouldn't say the show is so bad it's good because it's not bad. It is it is good. Mm-hmm. I do I do really like it. But it I mean, you know, if it didn't have any corn, <laughs> if it didn't have anything for me to laugh at, uh, I wouldn't enjoy it yeah. half as much. Okay, cool. Well. Our next episode will be the Parliament of Dreams, and this will see the return of Londo and the Ambassador, so I'll be happy about that. Oh, my. <laughs> yes. Back to Londo, back to the high court yep. or whatever. Yep. All right. So we'll see some of that for our next episode. But that's next time, and so we're going to have to wrap up this evening. Wish you guys all a great day, and we will catch up with you later. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And a good eating to you. (laughs) And a good eating to you.